the natural beauty of what we grow is just like it's so inspiring and it's so exciting like like each season you get excited about every new crop like the, the asparagus peeking through the ground the, the flavor of spring garlic after winter the east coast of Australia has been smashed again with floods and I think one of the things that really brought the situation home, at least to the hospitality community in Victoria, was the flooding of Somerset Heritage Farm near Seymour on the Goulburn River. Uh, I've been following this story with, you know, a bit of heartbreak and then, you know, occasional uh, optimism and hope. Uh, today we are talking to farmer Chloe Fox. Chloe, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us here at Dirty Linen. Thank you very much for having me, Danny. How are you doing? Uh, today is a pretty amazing day. We, we actually had our first working bee on the farm yesterday uh, with sort of everyone invited along like our community people from our farmers markets restaurants in melbourne uh, our local community yeah we had an amazing turnout and we got so many jobs done on the farm all of the most daunting jobs the things that just take time and effort and yeah just pure labor they, they really got achieved yesterday and yeah it, it was such an amazing day for us we're just so full of hope and energy for our path forward now well, I'm so pleased to hear that and so happy to catch you in this moment when you, you can feel the groundswell of support and, you know, jobs are getting done. I mean, maybe for people who haven't been following this story and don't know anything about you, um, yeah, explain a little bit about the farm, the floods yeah. and the jobs that needed to be done. Okay, so, so we have a four-acre acre vegetable farm on the Goulburn River in Seymour. Uh, we're right on the, the river, borders us on three sides of the farm, um, and we've got a beautiful red gum uh, borderline that yeah traces around and follows the river. Uh, and then on one side of the farm, we've got a gully, which also flooded. Uh, so about uh, a bit over two weeks ago now, the river really rose up fast um, and broke its banks and essentially engulfed our farm. We became a part of the river, like the, the, the mighty flow of the Goulburn River was rushing through our farm. Um, I think the floodwaters peaked at about a bit over a metre and a half from the, well, at 8.2 metres um, technically from the river, but sitting at about a metre and a half over our farm. Um, which pretty much wiped out everything. We, yeah, all of our crops are uh, destroyed for the season. Um, we lost a bit of infrastructure and had to do a lot of repairs. Uh, we'll have to re-establish all of our beds and irrigation. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll need to do a lot of work, but we have done a lot of work. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, it, it, yeah, it was... A, they say a one in a hundred year flood or things like that and it's it's kind of hard to comprehend until you actually are seeing it or, or kayaking through it as we were at various points throughout the, the flooding. Mm. And tell us a little bit about the kinds of produce that you've been growing and who you've been supplying it to. Yeah okay so we um, we love to grow food that 
makes people excited to eat vegetables. Uh, we grow a lot of um, heritage and heirloom varieties and we really just grow for flavour and um, just for absolutely beautiful food to eat. We sell directly to restaurants and farmers markets and to local customers through Open Food Network and we have this amazing like by selling to restaurants we get to grow all of this interesting stuff that um, we then get to create demand for or like introduce to our customers at farmers markets and then uh, they also start to embrace like all of these more um, like more unique vegetables things that you wouldn't find in stores necessarily or yeah like vegetables that your nonna or your, yeah, your grandparents used to grow or are popular in other countries and people from other cultures come to the markets and are excited to see that we're growing these things that they only know from their countries. Um, yeah. How did you get into it, Chloe? What, what made you want to farm in this way? Um, so I, I kind of actually came into farming from the perspective of someone who loved eating. Um, uh, I... I Throughout my my various uni life and early working life, I just sort of I was drawn into a bit of a food politics lens as well as like a working in hospitality to support myself um, when I was younger and and just always getting drawn back into that and then realizing that I was just really interested in where all this food was coming from and like who was doing it and um, like I, I had come from a family. A farming family that would moved away from the land and uh, when I was a teenager um, and then yeah going back into it in a different sort of field I, I dabbled in like volunteering and woofing and doing different types of farming um, and started out by growing a garlic crop uh, yeah I was lucky enough to start working on this farm for someone else um, having um, found this farm through volunteering and um, and working for other people and yeah I worked for um, the original person who started this farm Robbie for about two years um, and then Robbie wanted to take off and travel the world and I was lucky enough to get to take over and, and yeah really um, yeah grow grow the farm uh, to what it was. <laughs> Everyone I've spoken to in the city who uses your produce, I mean, and in fact, using your produce is really not the way to talk about it because what they talk about is the deep connection that they have with you and the way they love to respond to what you're growing. Like it feels like, uh, you know, where I think produce and sourcing has to get to, which is where it's driven by what farmers are growing. It's a it's a conversation. It's... Um, it's responsive. It's not this, um, you know, ticking items off an order sheet after you've, um, you know, spontaneously dreamt up a dish. What what kind of relationships have you found you've had with chefs and restaurateurs? So, I yeah, I, I feel so fortunate to work with the people we do. They they are incredibly inspiring, and they do the most beautiful things with our food. And yeah, they they like we it's a self-selection thing the, the chefs we work with are the ones that want to um that want to work with the best of what we're doing that season and to really just um be inspired by by what is coming out of the ground and also like increasingly as well we're, we're discovering that like um 
different parts of the plant that might not you might not traditionally be able to buy. Um, those are those are incredibly um, good to eat as well. And like the reasons that we don't eat those plants are more like um, driven by what what you can sell in a store or what can be harvested efficiently by a large machine and things like that. Whereas we get to like we're doing all of our harvesting by hand. Where like our, our crops stay in the ground, and that we, we really like watch them through the life cycle. So we have things like radish pods. If our radishes have gone to flower, or some of the crop has gone to flower, and then they we sell radish flowers. Then we sell the radish seed pods as they come in, and they're these amazing, like tasty little crunchy, juicy radish beans. Almost we sell things like broccoli and Brussels sprout leaves. Um, Horseradish leaves are one of the big things we've been selling a lot of the past few years. We do a lot of spring garlic, so young, tender uh, green garlic shoots um, through to like green garlic as it starts to bulb up. Um, yeah, so the, the chefs we work with, they like, they, and a lot of the time they're the ones inspiring us to harvest these things and they ask us about different parts of the plant and then we we start to offer that to. Uh, different parts of sorry uh yeah different different customers are able to then yeah really embrace just all all facets of what we're growing I mean it seems um mean to then talk about the fact that you've lost the whole crop um what sort of impact does I mean you've been flooded other farmers have been flooded there's obviously you know enormous impacts to food supply through these recent floods um how do you get your head around that? What what do you what do you think? Uh, look, we're, we're treating this as an opportunity to uh, to redesign the farm and to really like once you've been farming on a piece of land for a few years, you you have a few ideas about like what you would do to make it better. And um, we're we're treating this as an opportunity to really make those changes and to like embrace better design and like really think about the crops we love growing and what does really well here um it's a little bit of a circuit breaker in that sense um so we've just got to treat this as an opportunity more than anything um and yeah like really it it gives us a chance to focus like on the things that really make this farm great and like why we do what we do Mm, Um, wow that's so impressive. <laughs> so, are you thinking? What do you want to change, and what do you want to grow? Uh, so, so it, yeah, even just basic things like the exact layout of the farm and like practicalities of like how we get around the farm and things like that. Like it, it's all very um, like banal stuff, but it, it does make a huge difference in in to your workflow or like the health of crops. Like even just putting like we're putting in perennial borders and things like that. So windbreaks that are also beneficial to, like we harvest from them at certain points. We uh, allow for habitat for native birds and and bees and other insects that are beneficial to the farm. Um, We do have a really biodiverse sort of farm. We've got a lot of of insect life. We, We grow a lot of different crops and we sort of, we allow things to flower to attract like all sorts of different pollinators and beneficial insects. We've got all these tiny little little birds that, yeah, um, yeah, really enhancing that part of the farm. Um, yeah, um, so things like that we really get to embrace now. And 
we might not have gotten the chance to do that um, without without this. Um, yeah. Uh, also, just yeah, the, like, and I've just been thinking more and more about the the different life cycle of the plant and like what what is like what do we eat? Why do we eat it at that stage? Like are there things like different stages of the life cycle that might be perfect for eating would it like things like we've been harvesting a lot of broad bean leaves this for the past few years and we actually are finding that's increasing our eventual output of broad beans as well so rather than um taking away from the eventual broad bean harvest where we've got this incredibly like long season harvest of broad bean leaves which are so tasty and delicious and incredibly popular um and then, and then we still have this beautiful, like, like right now we would be harvesting the first of our broad beans on farm, um, and doing a lot of baby broad beans and things. So you eat the entire pod. Um, so yeah, just really, yeah, thinking about plants over their different life life phases. And, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, they talk about it as a one in 100 year flood, but I mean, Ooh. we know Lismore's had, let's say, three one in 100 year floods in six months. Yeah. What's, how do you deal with that? Yeah, the confidence, like the, the mindset of rebuilding when it could happen again? Look, it's an absolutely terrifying prospect, but at the same time, like, the way we grow food in Australia and just by the nature of growing food, we're always going to be in areas that are prone to prone to flooding, prone to bushfire. Like the land we're growing on, we're incredibly lucky to grow on this land right beside the river. It's incredibly fertile. We've got access to good, clean water from the river. Um, it, it's incredibly conducive to growing good vegetables and it is good farmland and it's also farmland that won't be developed into housing estates um which you're sort of seeing on the the margins of melbourne all over so much of the productive land on on the edges of all of our cities is being turned into into other things into agriculture non-agricultural use um and like the long term for farming is we're we're gonna see more and more events like this um and natural disaster is always going to be, I think, at our doorstep. Um, how, how we adapt to that, like, there's no way I can completely flood-proof this farm. Um, and I have to be cognizant of that fact. Um, we, can, we can build smarter and better. We, like, we've, we've seen the way the water can run through the farm. We, we can do as much to mitigate um, for a flood, but we, we can never flood-proof it. Um, it's a trade-off for being able to farm here um, and yeah I, I think as a as a society we've got to work out a way to um, if we want to be able to continue to eat food um, we've got to work out a way to support the rebuilding of agriculture after um, after natural disasters it's like it's our, our community support has been uh, absolutely wonderful and we we wouldn't be able to continue farming without all the support we've received but I think we probably need to as a society work out like a uh and well some sort of system 
for for restoring farms that are are hit by like rather than just relying on the goodwill and spirit of community which is wonderful and like we're so lucky to have had it but yeah looking at a a wider system for helping people recover after these incidents yeah because I I guess yeah being shocked and surprised doesn't really play when we know it's going to happen if hopefully not on your farm but it's going to happen somewhere definitely and and yeah like there there is no farmland that you can yeah stop you, you can't just stop farming like these areas because like there might be a, a flood like this is these are the food bowls of our country this is where we produce food um yeah that like if we want to keep eating food we're gonna have to uh realize that yeah these things will continue to happen and how we recover after them is the most important thing in terms of continuing to grow that great food. So you had this amazing working bee yesterday or we're talking we're talking on Sunday so it happened on Saturday. Um, tell us what everyone mucked in and did. Oh, so we've like all of our fences were either very badly destroyed or damaged um and there was just like it's been a great year for growing grass and silage in our region so there was this incredible wave of just mats of grass that have coated like all of the fences so we even just had to by hand go in and muck in and just pull off like this grass matting to even see the fences and like underneath them so we just had an army of people doing that which is incredibly um uh, not glamorous work, but um, everyone was just so amazing. So we had heaps of people doing that. We had a huge rhubarb patch, which we're going to relocate. It's rhubarb, like our rhubarb will survive. It's been knocked about a bit, but the roots are still intact. But where it was, it was getting a bit soggy and they're not very happy. So we're going to relocate them to a different part of the farm. So everyone just mucked in and dug out like this huge patch of rhubarb and, and those things like, thing I would compare them to like a rhubarb root looks like a mandrake it's this wild um alien looking creature that takes a bit of wrestling out of the ground um so yeah an incredible like mud army of people we had even just, so we had a huge amount of like just rubbish cleanup things that have washed in from the river um nets from the farm we've got a vineyard um we, we are within a vineyard property so nets from the vineyard just farming like uh yeah all of our infrastructure and stuff things that had crumbled like that they'd washed into like parts of the farm and into the vineyard so cleaning up that debris we've got some amazing friends um uh who have heavy machinery so um, getting that heavy machinery into that and really just uh getting that out and then yeah people taking it dismantling all of our irrigation pipes and things like that just so we've got a clean slate to get in do the the machine work and re-establish our beds and then we can go back in and set up irrigation again. So just really like hard work. Everybody had the most amazingly good spirits and just such a happy and wonderful <laughs> bunch of people just showed up with, yeah. Yeah, we just got so much work done, like things that would have taken us months and just to do by yourself or with a small team are incredibly disheartening. But with the 45 or so people that came yesterday, we just knocked out all of those jobs and 
it was so wonderful. That's so awesome. Now, um, I think when when food people come and help with some jobs on the land, someone's going to bring some fuel to feed these (laughs) these workers. What did you guys eat? Oh, we had so much food. Um, uh, We were, and like people that couldn't come to the actual day also sent along food. We had these amazing cakes. Joe from Mushrooms Anonymous, um, another food legend of of Melvin, every chef would know her. Um, she she sent along these amazing cakes and bread rolls and just everybody raved about them. Uh, we're still eating them this morning. I've got a few meals of cake planned for the day. Um, uh, ev- like just amazing salads and scones and curries and dals and and just even just people brought boxes of veggies like I think that's one of the hardest things like right now we don't have a farm to eat from and and we're so used to just going out and picking whatever we feel like and and not being able to have vegetables with like we've got yeah boxes of veggies from people's home gardens that was incredibly thoughtful and inspiring and yeah that was wonderful um yeah the lunch yesterday was epic <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah. um, now Chloe I have to inquire after the health of the goats yes. um, and can you please tell the listeners your goat yeah. story yeah so um when our when our gully um filled up and cut off sort of our walking access to the farm um so our road access was cut off very early and then our pedestrian bridge went under and we were sort of reduced to accessing the farm by kayak and then the farm became only ne- navigable by kayak. Uh, we had some goat. We have some goats, two young um, buck goats, uh, who are kind of nuisances and eat the occasional weed. Well, eat a lot of weeds, but uh, just more more pets than anything else. Along with our our fifteen motley chickens. Um, so we moved them to the highest point we could. Um, we had our pack shed. Um, on the farm we by the time the water broke over it was too late to get them out like it happened all very suddenly um so we got them to the pack shed on the farm walking them over in the day just through about a foot of water and got them to what we hoped was high enough ground um and then um had them up on tables and platforms in the pack shed um, for that terrifying Thursday night where all the rain was coming in and the floodwaters were still rising. Um, we, we were, that was a horrible night. We, we were unsure whether we'd, we'd honestly just condemn these poor goats to a horrible drowning. <laughs> and we just had no, but the river was just torrenting through at that point and we had no way to get them to safety other than, the, than that point. Uh, so on the Friday morning, um, my partner Cam kayaked over into the into the pack shed, and the first thing he heard was this uh, goat bleat of, of welcome and and um, and like Cam's only he, he's cried twice I think in this entire thing. We won't talk about how much I've cried, um, um, but the sound of those goats um, got him crying in the the pouring rain on his kayak. So he um, got in there, popped a life jacket on onto a goat at a time. One of the goats has an incredible set of horns on him, so that was all the more fun. Um, they are mini goats, but they're still 
decent sized. Um, and he popped the goats on the kayak while they um, jumped off into the water immediately and then decided that it would be better on the kayak um, in their life jackets and paddled them back to a slightly higher point at the house. And we were able to um, then get them up to a friend's pony yard. There aren't many places you can just keep a goat. <laughs> um, they're, they're known for breaking out of fencing. So they've been in our friend's pony yard for uh, the two weeks now while we build some decent fencing to keep them in again. Um, and, yeah, they've, they've never liked us more. They're incredibly <laughs> happy to see us every day. <laughs> and they're very affectionate now. <laughs> It's yeah. what an extraordinary story. And yeah, I mean, it is, I, I, I can also feel emotion hearing that story of Cam kayaking in to see them, what's still standing up on the tables where you left them. Yes. Uh, they, they just, yeah, they, they were, we just, the sound of those goats, like we were so worried that we, we also had to put 15 chickens in our bathroom in, in our farmhouse, which oh also gosh. also flooded, but we um, we eva- had to evacuate our farmhouse that night. Um, but we, we popped the, the 15 chickens in there with various perches and tables and chairs, but we were just unsure at that point how high the flood water was going to get. So we were terrified that we'd come home to no chickens and no goats and just seeing them all alive on the Friday morning, that was the biggest relief and I, I, I think yeah as a sign of like we we can recover from this flood and like if these um crazy goats can survive a night like that we can yeah the least we can do is rebuild for them and yeah manage to grow them some weeds to eat again and yeah <laughs> amazing Chloe so what do you think will be the first crop that you can regrow and and supply to market um look we'll we'll probably we'll be able to transplant that rhubarb crop that we dug up the other day and then we're hoping in the next two weeks for it to dry out enough to establish some of those beds and now those will go into those perennial areas um of habitat along the edge of the farm um so we're hope and that that rhubarb should grow pretty fast at this time of year. So we're hoping that will be available soon. I think our horseradish leaves, those things can survive anything. Um, so we'll hopefully have horseradish and, and horseradish root also back on our, our list pretty soon. Uh, as soon as we can get in and start sowing crops, we've got a lot of tomato seedlings and uh, peppers and eggplants and things that our amazing friends, um, Joe Joe from Mushrooms and Non, she's doing some of our tomato seedlings. Our friends from the Veg Empire, um, they're, they're amazing seedling growers as well. I'd recommend everyone checks them out. Uh, they've got our peppers and eggplants and we're very excited to get them in. Um, so hopefully we'll be looking at sort of February for harvesting the start of, of that harvest. Um, uh, we'll yeah we'll start our leafy green production and things as soon as possible and all those herbs so we can have like some of those faster growing growing crops we'll have within sort of six to eight weeks after after we get to start planting things um, yeah we're, we're hoping to be we'll do a smaller scale summer and then just as we yeah like we'll be too late in the season to really really do the, the normal summer we'd do with a full farm but yeah, we, we hope to be, yeah, back on back on plates by early the new year, in the new year. 
That's amazing. So pulling back from, you know, the immediate, what is it that you love about growing vegetables, Chloe? Um, I, I think, like, this, the changing of the seasons here and every everything is always changing and the, the natural beauty of what we grow is just like it's so inspiring and it's so exciting like like each season you get excited about every new crop like the, the asparagus peeking through the ground the, the flavor of spring garlic after winter like you, your body starts to crave those leafy greens at the start of spring and you just want to like eat every green thing you ever ever see and then like in the heat of summer you've got all those amazing like the cucumbers and just the the beautiful diversity of like all of these different crops and old varieties things that just have so much flavor and personality and uh like it's just so exciting and then also just seeing what people do with them like taking these vegetables to chefs and restaurants and seeing what they create with them things you'd never imagine or taking them to market and having a person come and ask you like what's different what what are you growing at the moment like and taking away a vegetable and coming back the next week and telling you what they did with it and how much they loved it and what new thing are they going to try next like that's incredibly inspiring and like it's the reason we we are doing what we do like it, it's just it's so like I love seeing people excited about food and especially vegetables like yeah it's a great feeling. Wow. I mean, I can really feel that there's that energetic transfer that's in the vegetable itself, but then there's, I, I really feel like, you know, everyone that eats something that you've grown can feel the energy and the love that you've put into it as well. Um, it's a really beautiful medium for connecting. Yeah. It, it, it's, it feels like art sometimes. It's just, yeah, it's, it's nature's art. Like it's, it's, yeah. How can you not be excited and inspired by it? Love it, Chloe. Well, thank you so much for taking the time from your long list of jobs to chat to us today. Um, I know it's going to mean a lot to people to hear from you at this crucial time in your journey. All the best with rebuilding and growing. And yeah, I hope nature gives you lots of beautiful things to watch over the coming months. I'm sure it certainly will. We, we just, yeah, we're, we're so fortunate to have everyone around us that we do to help us in this, like we're calling it a regrow, but we're just, yeah, we, we just can't wait to be producing food for everyone again. It's, yeah, it's truly a privilege. Thanks, Chloe. Thank you very much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.